Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional Halo opponents delve into their experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not ours or our employers or anyone else's. And I am the software engineer, half of your hosts. Uh, my name is Brian, and I've been a software engineer for over 10 years now, and I've gotten to work across finance, uh, healthcare, and delivery logistics, and most recently, mobile phones. So I've had a fun time. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Nice. Yeah, and I'm John. I am on the, the product side of the fence. In reality, I have 10 plus years of more or less uh, any non-technical role around delivering a, a project. So whether that be project management, business analyst, product owner, um, kind of any of those titles, but most recently really finding my home in product and growing in product and, and loving what's ahead of me in a true product owner role. Right on. Uh, and our, our topic today, I want to announce or state, and then we talked about it, we're going to caveat it pretty heavily. So <laughs> this one is all about joining a new team. And so the caveat I want to throw out is both of us have done this very recently, just through coincidence, we both changed jobs in the last couple of months. So there's kind of a fresh take on this that I think is live in my mind right now. Um, John, do you have any other caveats you want to call out for this one? Yeah. And I think it's just the theme of our podcast. Like we, we are learnings from the middle and we are in the middle of our career. So there are things that I think we will change and develop and grow. Um, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look and go like, oh, that was a horrible thought. We would do that differently. And there's things that have gotten us where we are successfully after, you know, over a decade in the industry and have gotten us quite far. So I think just joining a new team and, and giving opinions on, man, this went well, this didn't, uh, those are subject to change as you learn and kind of just grow and mature as yourself. So I think that's a big caveat, but that's probably the caveat that we could apply to every single one of our podcasts. True. So my, my first question is, do you have a pattern when you join a new team? Do you have a sequence or a set of steps that you go through every time you get started on a new group? Um, I think for me, I really want to learn what the team is doing today. Um, so like, let's, let's put the social to the side. I think the social is very important. We'll come back to that. But when it comes to just joining a new team, I really want to come up to speed as quickly as possible with the most pertinent thing that the team is doing today. Um, not what we're going to do next week, not what we're hoping to do in the future, not what we're trying to grow to, not what we're wanting to change, but how are we operating and functioning uh, today as well as what's the work in front of us. Um, so for me, a lot of times that means as a product owner, I may eventually want to understand the tech stack. I might want to eventually understand all the technology behind what's going on and become a really subject matter expert in what we're doing. But my most pertinent task is what are the weekly cadence of calls? What is the weekly uh, cadence of meetings? What is the, how do we organize our work? How do we prioritize? Who do we interact with? It's, it's really just prioritizing the, what's the daily grind before I really dive into trying to become the subject matter expert on anything. I will go the social route here so shortly, but yeah. maybe you want to take it, respond to that part first. I am going to sound like a broken record because I think I say this every time you say, say you answer one of these questions. That's so different from what I do. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> so I, yeah. So I, I find that if I try to start with what's most important, I wind up being less helpful because typically on a software team or an engineering team, you've got your most talented engineers on the biggest project already. And it's not always helpful to have a new person try to jump in and contribute there. Maybe if there's some work that can get parceled off, but it's usually more helpful to have a new engineer 
jump into something else that's distracting those key players from the major projects. So the first thing I do is like volunteer for bug triage or volunteer mm -hmm. to just go in and fix bugs or tickets or find a backlog and just start going through something that I think is going to be the most helpful. I find that tickets usually point you towards the areas of your product that customers are frustrated with. And if you, it also motivates you. So you can pick where you want to dive in. And it's a great way to start getting up to speed quickly on something that's real, that's actually going to affect customers. And instead of just trying to understand, you know, a 20,000 line code base or a 2 million line code base or whatever it is, you have an entry point to start exploring from so that you know you're going to do something that's meaningful. And you've also got a place to start looking around at. So and that's, I, oh, go ahead. I, I agree on the weekly cadence stuff. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I usually don't start with trying to involve myself in the most important thing for the team at the moment. Yeah, and maybe I should clarify that because if I had a new engineer come on my team, that's 100% how I would do it, 100%. I, 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 like it maybe it, not quite as eloquently as you put it, but they're not going to jump into the main thing because usually you have your best, most seasoned engineers on the main thing or teaching middle uh, engineers the main thing so that they don't have to always be the guy on the, on the main thing. What I mean by learning the main thing is I really think this is outside observing coming in. There's a lot of times new folks can get stuck on things that they just don't need to be stuck on yet. Like if I were to come in and be like, I can't be a product owner for this team until I perfectly understand our product, I am slowing down our team. So when I say main thing, I mean, what's the backlog for next week? Like, like what, what are we, why are we prioritizing next week and why is it prioritized? Yes. I need to get to everything else. Yes. I need to uh, become a subject matter in this area um, or figure out what the main effort is that we're doing. Uh, but my main goal is what is my team working on right now next week? Because I need to make sure I'm not blocking that on the product side. So perfect example, if I can be just soapbox a little bit longer on this one, my current team um, is somewhat of a launch team. We, we do implementations. I have been in this position for a month and a half, and this is not ideal. I want to change it, but a perfect example of this is I still do not know how to run a launch front to back. I have not been able to sit down with my engineer, with my teams, with other people who have been in this role before me and go, we have a new partner comes tomorrow. What do I do? Like I haven't had that conversation and I manage the launch team right now or a team that has been managing launches. Um, I am more right now in bug triage. Why is this current partner that's been with us for four months that should have been launched two months ago not launched? That's my focus. That's my main thing. So when I say the main thing my team is working on, it's more of what is the current body of work that we're doing to make sure that I'm not the blocker for that. So that's yeah. usually where my focus is right away, even though technically if you were to say what would make a great product owner in this role, it would be be a product expert and uh, be the expert of the product that they're trying to own. And that's just not where I'm at currently, because if I would try to do that, I'd be doing a disservice to keeping my team unblocked while I'm becoming expert. Mm -hmm. I think that does resonate a little more than I thought at first then, because that's kind of, that's really what I'm driving at is I try to find the thing, the next piece of work that's going to distract the people moving the needle on our major projects or initiatives or whatever it is. So I try to find the work that's going to move them away from it. Um, I do find that I don't I don't necessarily wait for direction on that. So I don't necessarily Ooh. spend a ton of time analyzing the, the environment and watching all the players and making sure I've got the right priorities. I typically just look for something that seems helpful 
and then get really noisy about what I'm doing so someone can tell me to bug off if it's not as helpful as it seemed to me, but then I can have something to dive into without someone needing to sit me down and explain the next step or give me a bug or kind of hand feed me anything. I can just get rolling, but also make noise at the same time so someone can wave me off if it's a bad idea. I think we should pause on that thought for a second because one thing that you're getting at is, have you, let me ask this question. The best training onboarding you've ever received, have you ever had clear direction when you get on the other side of it of what you're supposed to be doing? Perfectly clear direction on like, this is now what you go do. One time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> do you want me to tell that story or do you want to? Uh, let's come back to it for a second. Cause okay. the point I'm trying to get at is what you said of, I try, I tried just to be able to jump in and pick it up. Someone's going to tell me if I'm picking up the wrong thing, but there is a level of ambition or, um, ambition is an okay word. I think there's a level of ambition or a level of, let me come in and figure this out and help how I common sense logically think makes the most sense. Um, honestly, I'm here in the first month i'm speaking as a developer now if i was a dad i'm like i'm here in the first month and no one's really expecting to get code out of me anyways at this point like you know if i'm way off the rocker they'll tell me but i'm going to try to jump in and take something that's distracting um without having to have someone come in and say here is your job this is your code base this is where you start like that's that rarely happens to your point that's happened once for you um we'll come back to that story but for me um the less you have to be the hey i'm new what do i do like, while that's totally fair and in a perfect world, you shouldn't be in that position, you're almost always going to be that position to where you don't have as much direction as you want when you're joining a team. And so there is definitely go into a team expecting to have to kind of figure it out for yourself, I guess is the simplest way to put it. You're going to have to figure some things out for yourself and ask questions when you can and not have to ask questions in order to make the first move. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's caveats to that left and right, but yeah. in general, I, that'd be big also depends line. on. I think it also depends on the size of the company and the character of the company. So at smaller companies that I've worked at, that's much harder to do. It's much harder to take the initiative yourself because there may be less documentation or less well-built out tooling where the larger companies that I've worked at, you can get a, a bug report and then typically search a good portion of the code base for the company in, through one tool and then find your starting points from there. Where at smaller groups, they may need somebody may need to tell you, this is the repository to go look in, or this is your, you know, the entry point for this service or whatever it is. So yeah, in general, I try very hard not to play the new guy card, asking for work, but more to play the new guy card, explaining the work I'm about to try and do, and giving somebody a chance to tell me, hey, new guy, don't do that. It's not interesting or it's not helpful. Please redirect to this other issue. Yep, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just like, there's nothing wrong with being in these phases. I'm trying to remember the matrix in my head, but there's basically this idea of like, you need high direction and high oversight. You need high direction and low oversight. You need uh, low oversight and uh, high direction and then low oversight, low direction. And, and basically these are kind of progressions as you come in and, and the progressions in value as well. The lower oversight you need and the lower direction you need, the more valuable it is because it means you're already instinctively or training or skill-wise determining what direction should I be marching in and how to do it. Now, if you come in, in general, you're expected to be high direction and um, high, um, high oversight. Like I'm going to have to tell you step-by-step step how to do everything. 
But the faster you can move out of that stage, the faster you're going to get recognized as someone that can contribute to the team and, and, and be, a, be a good team member. So even if I have to say, this is what you're working on, this is the direction you're going, but I don't have to sit there and tell you how to code every line. That means you're probably that mid-level engineer, if not a senior level engineer in a new company who just needed the direction to start. Like, you know, so the further you can get away from, if not direction, but at least oversight, the the much more valuable you are to your team because you're not taking somebody else's time to do that. And you shouldn't be ashamed to take other people's time when you're new, but just know where you're trying to move, know where you're trying to get to, to where you're, and, and do what you can to help that progress. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Another very practical thing I do as a software engineer on that journey is find the feedback mechanism from what my team, what my team's production instance or whatever it is, is actually doing. So for a service-based team, that's the metrics or the logs. For uh, for an Android team, that's getting comfortable with your team's log cat and the filters that you should apply. But there's nothing more empowering than being able to dig through logs and metrics and be able to understand and start to analyze issues on your own. And it also just makes you more familiar with what's common in your service, separate from what's documented or what's been explained to you of what actually happens. Oh, so I have a question for you as a product person. Um, the first way that I build rapport or the first tool I use is submitting a bug fix. So that's always my goal is go from new guy to submitting a bug fix as soon as possible, because that just shows that you've got initiative, it shows you can write code, it shows you can understand a problem and provide a solution. Do you have a similar thing that provides that kind of, has that utility for providing rapport and credibility? I have to go in two directions. Yes, the answer is yes, but I have to go in two directions. I have to go away from the team towards everybody that's coming to product with what they want and what they need or what we're building for them. And I have to go towards the team to make sure the team knows that as their product owner, I have their back. So directionally away from the team, it, engineers would hate this, but I set up meetings. And the good news is this isn't with engineers. Uh, this is with the stakeholders. I let sales know I see them and I'm going to meet with them every two weeks. I'm going to tell them what my team is doing if I'm that close to sales. I'm going to get with partnerships or relationship management team, whatever you call that at your company. And I'm going to have a meeting with them if they have ways of getting partner requests to my team and let them know like, hey, yeah, you're that thing on the backlog. Yep, that's up next or you know, honestly, realistically, I'm not looking at until next year. And you just need to be able to know that so you can clearly communicate that. Being able to start having those conversations with those stakeholders um, is huge because then they feel heard. Um, they feel like they can go back to customers who are the ultimate um, customers of products, so to say, uh, who we're building products for and, and articulate clearly and communicate clearly. So outside of my the team, my, my scrum team, I really try to find those stakeholders and make sure those stakeholders know or have open lines with me. Um, that's a lot that can get overbearing, but that's half over half the product job or a good chunk of the product job. Engineering wise, I, if, if they haven't had a buffer, I make a buffer. I, I, that's, I feel like for engineering teams, if they know that their product owner has their back and will buffer them to the best of his ability or her ability, I feel like that goes a long ways building your core with my engineers. If I walk into a team and I find out my engineers are responding to Slack messages from outside requests, the first thing I say is stop that, send them my way, I'm the buffer for you. Like, you know, and it doesn't always work that way because sometimes they have a good buffer, but in my experience, engineers being able to trust that their product owner is gonna let them be engineers um, is, um, it goes a long ways to building rapport. And that comes out in both making sure they have time to be engineers. And then the second part is asking them questions, um, asking them questions about the system and the product and the tool just so that they know that I know they 
they know their stuff and they know what they're doing. So, okay. So again, long answers. Side of your team, yeah, that's what I was going for because I've never, I've never been able to understand or grasp what that currency is. And it sounds like for outside the team, it's the attention that you're paying attention, you're engaging, you're curious, and I'm going to communicate honestly. Transparency, yep. I suppose. Yes. And then inside of the team, it's setting boundaries and saying, yes. redirect this salesperson or executive or CEO or whoever it's going to wind up being to me, and I'll be the filter for what's coming into all of you. Yep. And, and that's really, again, this may be one of those things I come back 10 years later and find out, man, maybe there's a place else to start, but at least in the, the scrum teams I've been a part of as their product owner, protecting them and being an advocate for the engineers is usually the biggest rapport that I have with them, both giving them credibility for knowing their stuff, treating them like they know their stuff because they usually do and then buffering them from those distractions. So, yeah. And I, I'm sure over the next 10 to 15 years, I'll edit mine as well, but typically so far in my career, I've spent most of my time as primarily an IC and even now an individual contributor, even now I spend probably 50 or 60% of my time, maybe 50% writing code. So that's just the, the easiest currency that I can spend or that I can gain is to say, here's a bug fix. <laughs> you needed this, I provided it. And so you can trust me to provide reasonable solutions. But go ahead. Yeah, especially for you as an engineer, like you have to get credibility first. I feel like there's a level of credibility, like you can't go in and be Again, this goes to a different topic. Management is its own skill set. I fully believe that. But a lot of times you do need a way of getting credibility with your engineers if you're going to be trying to lead engineers. And mm -hmm. the way that as a fellow engineer, you can do that is get bug fixes or just show that you can actually step in and, and you have chops to do what you say you can do. Yep. And I so one way that I'm already editing that is as you're talking, it does occur to me that I do have two tracks as well. I just this is probably this most recent job change is the first time I've needed to think about it. And the other track is the product management tech, TPM kind of role, where for the team that I'm on and my manager, I gain the rapport by turning into bug fix. For the product group, I gain rapport pretty much the way that you described with attention. But instead of me, the like outside of my team is facing towards the product manager or the product owner and spending time and acknowledging and validating their concerns, their requests, their questions is another really easy way to gain some rapport so that they know you're an engineer who understands the value of the product role and appreciates it and is willing to provide the investment of time and attention and explanations that are going to make the product group more, more versatile and more effective. So that's the other track that I've got as well. That makes sense. The thing that I have to be careful of as a product on the product side is a lot of times also Sometimes you're coming into a system and you just you, you just need to fit into the system that's there. You always need to fit into the system there when you're new, but sometimes that is the final system. What I mean by that is everybody in the team does two-week sprints. Everybody does grooming twice a week or, or once a week, and everybody does a concept session every two weeks. You do stand-up every day and stuff for Friday, and then you do a Slack. Like, there's, there's a system and a rigidity that you're coming into, and here's how we write user stories. Here's how we size them. Here, like. But I feel like, at least in the companies I've been looking at more often that I've been working for more often, there's more flexibility in that. They are leaving it more up to the Scrum team on how the Scrum team wants to operate. Um, so with that, when I come in, I need to first understand and operate within what it is currently. 
And the big gauge that I have to do is how long do I need to operate in with that before I start steering it and tailoring it to what makes sense for what we're doing. Maybe I don't need to, maybe there's not a lot of changes that need to be made. Uh, most of the time there are going to be a few changes and I've had both reactions. I've had both of the typical, you know, you could, you could write the stereotypical engineering response to change about it. And it's, 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 we hate change. We don't like it. We don't want to see it. And I've had a really good experience recently to where it's just like, no, we know we need change. Uh, we're on board to try anything. Like you, you, fit, you get us organized. You get us, you know, to where we don't feel like we're running around with our chickens head off. We'll, we'll do it. We don't care. So I, I've had both those experiences, and depending on the experience, it's, it's how fast you can move in that change. But when it comes to credibility and joining a new team, a big part of my job is also understanding when I can pull those levers or what levers I should be pulling versus just leaving alone because it doesn't matter. Yeah. I spend a lot of time analyzing if something that a new team does is jarring to me because it's new or different and just not what I'm used to versus it's jarring to me because it's bad and it will lead to negative consequences down the road. And it's tough to know when you should tap the brakes for the team and say, hold on, I'm new and I have an outsider's perspective and this is bad versus I'm new and I just don't understand how all this works yet and I need to watch the full life cycle to see how it winds up. Side note, doing that coming from regulated industries to unregulated unregulated industries is even more, you have to be even <laughs> more careful with that gauge because you can be, if you're coming out of banking and medical, like some of the stuff that non-regulated industries do would make you go bald and not sleep at night. And you're just like, what? We can do that? Like what? And, and not to say that it's good, but th- there's definitely some whiplash there on that kind of like what you're getting at of like, wait a minute, is this just me being me with my background or is this actually something that's concerning and, and, and an issue so 100 i've definitely had some of that i've definitely had oh, some yeah. of that this last this last uh, couple months my first jump from regulated to non-regulated i remember a change that just like wrote unencrypted data to a database and in internally i was panicking and then i paused and looked at the data and read the data classification and i moved on it was fine Yep. yep. No PII or yep. no personal nobody information. <laughs> nobody cares. It's eternal. You know, yep. it's, you know, and where if you're coming out again, banking or healthcare, it's like, I don't care what it is. It's encrypted <laughs> everywhere so. all the time, twice, better through in transit, when it's in a double barriers, like, like yep. send it securely and encrypt it and <laughs> like everything yep. too funny. How about you? What are like, what's been the biggest, whoops, I screwed that up moment when coming onto a new team. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you next. I'm glad I beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, you got me. The biggest, whoops, I messed that up. Um, I, the biggest of my career is going to be tough to pin down. Um, the biggest recently. So I'll, t- I'll tell this story. It is the best direction I've ever got coming out of onboarding. It is also the biggest mistake I've made, I think, in my career. <laughs> and so I I joined a new team, and it was a software engineering team that had uh, five or six services that it supported. And one of them had some pretty major changes that needed to be made because a dependency was deprecating data. You know the drill. It's very common. Mm-hmm. And so in a meeting with our skip level manager, this came up and it was a work item that needed to get prioritized. It was very urgent and no one else was raising their hand to jump on it. So I said, hey, I'll take it. I'm new. Redirecting me is not going to interrupt any existing work. 
I'm not familiar with it, but neither is anybody else. Why don't you just let me dive in? And so I did. And over the next, I don't remember how long it took, but six to eight weeks, we got the tables that needed to be deprecated, deprecated. We moved the data around. We added some other stuff. There was some scope creep with some additional features that snuck in there, Badge of that. course. And what that led to was me being the guy for that service for all time. <laughs> no one else wanted to <laughs> learn about it. And nobody else needed to because it was roughly like an engineer and a half project. And so between me and like a couple other people, we could really do any work that needed to happen. But in retrospect, I just didn't pay enough attention to the fact that no one else was raising their hand. <laughs> That's <laughs> I awesome. I didn't read the room. Everyone else had been there long enough to know exactly what was being asked. And they were being asked to switch to this service and just support this I'm... legacy thing that no one cared about. And just my, my gut instinct was, oh, I, I should help. <laughs> you know, I'm the front row kid. I, I find it funny that you see that question. as a mistake. Um, I find it interesting you classify that as a, maybe I wouldn't do that again. Like it needed to be done. It had to be done. Someone had to do it. Yeah. I mean, maybe you didn't want to take it, but you, so, you if you would go back again, you wouldn't take it. If I had to go down. back again, knowing what I know now, I don't think that I would. I would, okay. I would propose a different solution. I would say, yes, this is going to destabilize some existing work to have two people share this, but it will be better education for the team and we will handle this better if we have more people on it. And then also there, there's this tough dichotomy in software, probably in every job, of whether you prioritize your own career development or you prioritize the benefit of the team. And in that moment, I prioritized the benefits of the team or the, the good of the team because I raised my hand and I said, I'll be the sacrificial But you got stuck in a black hole. Send me off. And you know, it was presented as this great opportunity to demonstrate leadership and ownership and at some level it was, but it quickly became clear that I was not going to get any credit for it on paper. And there was lots of appreciation for it. But when review time came around and I tried to present the work that I had done, it kind of got laughed off as like, ah, you know, no, no one cares about that service anyways. Yeah. That's why no one ever wanted to work on it. So I think there were, knowing what I know now, I think there were things I could have done to both fill the needs of the team and protect myself a little bit from getting so siloed on this thing that wasn't going anywhere and it was just kind of a dead weight for my career for 18 months, but um, not quite that long, maybe a year. But in the moment, I just raised my hand as that front row kid and jumped on it. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That makes total sense. I just say, wait a minute, you raise your hand and that turned out bad? <laughs> I, get, I definitely understand though. Yep. Like, yep. I'm trying to think of mine, like, I make so many mistakes. <laughs> the good news is I can usually get myself out of them or try to repair the damage. But yep. um, and most recent or I think I've had to learn. Um, it sounds really simple and it feels very narcissistic probably, but that even if I have a really efficient way of doing something, what I would classify as the right way or the best way, you know how many debates there are in coding and engineering and in projects around what's the best way, what's the right way, or what's the way we should do it. Um, and I still think, and it's the danger of a lot of, you know, that you definitely can't do in product is you just get stuck to your idea or your way of doing things. And so I think I've done that on scrum teams before. I've done that once significantly on a scrum team before where it took me a long time to 
back off of, of what the way I had envisioned it working and not so much from a product perspective, but from a process perspective. Um, and I think there's sometimes where even if you have, even if you have rhyme and reason for why you're doing it your way. And even if you feel hundred percent, like there, this is the right way to do it. Like there's, there's a reason we should be doing it this way. You really have to get a gauge for when that is worth the fight or not. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause just being right. Isn't good enough. And, and Again, maybe I, I assume that should be basic and assume that anybody who's hearing this on the podcast goes, well, yeah, no, duh, dummy. But I, I really think it bears repeating that it's just like, you know, sometimes like being right isn't worth it. Like they just being being right isn't enough. Being right isn't isn't going to get you where you need to be, because if somebody else is able to get to the same place and maybe it took them an extra half a day or an extra two days, but they're happy and they know it or they um they got there like that that could be worth it like that could be okay and you mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't you think it you don't know it as well as you think you do again common sense stuff but and i'm talking very vaguely uh because i think this one could get nailed down <laughs> <laughs> i think this one could get nailed down publicly um but i yeah i just think i i get very glued to the best way of doing something and having to learn that there are things that it's it's just not worth it, even if you are yeah. right, it's just not worth it. And that's that's a hard meter to learn, especially coming in a new team and trying to learn how to re- read the room. Um, it almost goes back to your comment on like, what is my experience and my anxiety that I'm bringing into it versus what the real issue is. I think it's the same way. What what yeah. is my way of doing it versus what is just you know the right way yep. of doing it. And it's every team has inefficiencies. And every team and you has can be okay with that. Yeah, and some of them compound, and you really do need to address them. And as the new person, you're probably the only person who's going to be shocked enough to bring them up. And then there are other inefficiencies that are acceptable. They don't compound. They're small. They're possibly linear over time, and it's just not worth the disruption to to fix them or to address them. Or realizing that you're oh, this is a tough one. I even hate saying this one out loud. But realizing there's some things you can't change, like like you're like sometimes the the developer is the who the developer is, and that's not going to change. Or the product space is what the product space is, and you're just never going to get the return on investment that you want out of it. Or you know sales is going to continue to sell this thing, and you know there's a big hole in the functionality, but mm-hmm. you, you just got to deal with the fact that sales is going to continue to sell it because they can sell it. Like there's just things that like man, you want to say sales, if you sell this, you have to caveat it. And sales is going to be like, there's no way I'm giving up that check. And you're never going to win that conversation, no matter how many times sales tells you they'll stop selling it or they'll sell it differently. Like you're just, you're not. And so you can sit there and choose to be angry and upset about it or constantly pressure about it. Or I don't want to say accept it, but just realize that's the reality of the situation and and just have to adjust your work around it. Um, Yeah. That's a tough one for me. I'm a perfectionist and I never, I should have realized this. It took me a long time to realize I was a perfectionist, but um, there are some things you can't fix. So maybe that's more what I'm trying to say is I think there are things that you can't fix and you have to learn to deal with the things that you can't fix. So it's not even about being right or wrong necessarily. It's just some things are the way they are and you got to work with it Yeah. in a new team, especially. And boy, if you try to cross that line in the first week, <laughs> month, <laughs> uh, six months of being on a new team, Blow that back. could, that could, that could cost you a lot of Easily. rapport. Yeah. Rapport. Um, so what's the, well, okay, so I want to make this joke without being too snarky. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So the I often say that no matter how heavily you caveat dates to product people, oh they're going to quote them without the caveats. <laughs> so is sales your, so is engineering to product as product is to sales? 
where you tell sales probably to some degree, <laughs> not always. Um, but sales and re- like sales and relationship manager are a lot of times two key stakeholders for product. And relationship manager, their customers are always the most important customers, even if their customers making ten bucks a month. Like their customer mm-hmm. is the most important customer. And so having to have those hard conversations with them sometimes around, yeah, this one thing that your customer wants that's not making us any money that nobody else is talking about ain't happening. <laughs> like, and they're going to come in and they're going to escalate it every time you have a meeting with them, the whole time you're ever meeting with them. Sales, same way. Um, we're going to sell a product and this is how it's intended to work. And it works that way 85% of the time. The other 15% of the time it doesn't work that way. We can't do anything about it. That's just the way it works or it's an external partner that we can't control. Like, but your customers gonna be mad about that 15% of the time. It doesn't work that way. Um, so I want them, you want them to sell it, letting them know about that 18, 15% of the time it doesn't work. They ain't going to mention that 15% yep. of the time it doesn't work. <laughs> Just like um, you're not going to mention all the risks behind the caveats of the dates that I've provided you. <laughs> you know, I feel like product, a good product owner, I think at least includes the key caveats, but I think this is something that I have changed too, is I've tried to put myself in with the engineers. Um, I try to op- operate like a true product team, scrum team. We call it EPD at my current company, engineering product design. None of those three pieces of a team go anywhere without the other ones. They're, they're so connected. Like it, it is not product goes to this engineering to this. It doesn't mean the whole team comes everywhere, but EPD, the, the engineering manager, the product and the design lead go everywhere on everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps because then I can come to an engineer who's like, dude, I have 20 caveats behind this data I just gave you. And I can be like, dude, I know. I know there's 20 reasons this doesn't work. I know we're going to give this date and I'm going to speak for you and tell you that this isn't the right way to do it. We really actually need this extra week or we need the extra month or this is how we should do it. Give me another engineer. Give me another 10 grand like to buy the tool I need to buy. But at the end of the day, I can be like, you know, just as well as I do that we're not going to get that. And we just have to suck this up and do this. But now I'm with you sucking it up and doing it with you. And it's not mm-hmm. me having not had your back. It's just reality situation uh similar I'll, I'll use a quick example and then, I'll, and then i'll let you go back to we can, we can go back to more questions but um again i'm on right now a team that has technically been called the launch team we no longer should be the launch team where we've grown enough to where there should be a very specific team spun up to handle launches and we should be able to go back and be more of an integrations team we're working on how to integrate better um i know that my engineering manager knows that my team knows that we all stink and know that the next partner that comes across that needs to be launched is going to come to our team and we're going to launch it. Like, so I can have this conversation with my team and saying, this is where we're trying to go. I'm getting it done. I'm talking to my management. I'm talking to your management. We're talking together. We know this is the direction that we want to go. We're getting everybody nodding their heads. It ain't changing until we get the next partner mm-hmm. and we show all the stuff that we're not going to be able to do because we're too busy launching a partner. Same thing with the date. If, you, if we can do that as a team, it just takes that product versus engineering out of it. Yeah, it's internal versus external requirements and dependencies and all that. Yeah. So what's the best joining of a team that you've ever had? My current one, hands down. Hmm. Hands down. Um, I think some of that's experience. Um, I think this is one of the first times I'm going into a role after 10 plus years and feeling that 10 plus years is doing something for me. I feel like I'm coming into this role and I have something to contribute. I'm coming into this role and I know how to start protecting my team right away, how to get engaged with the stakeholders. I'm bringing all this knowledge that we just talked about and able to implement it and have it make a difference in going into a role that I've already worked a couple of times before, but now I'm seasoned at it and not coming in like, okay, how do I be a product owner of this team? How many sprints do you want? Like, what do you want us to do? Like, oh, what's our product? Okay, we can go do that. Like, no, I can come in and I can come in with a sense of, okay, this is what we're doing. This is why we need to do it. Like, what if we pull this lever? Oh, that was a good lever. And, and have those conversations and, and go through those motions. So, um, and 
kudos to my team now. I wish I could shout them out for real, um, but I have a great team. I have a great team right now full of competent um, and good engineers who are eager for personal growth, eager for team growth, um, been through the ringer, um, but have hung hung with the company through that and want to see it through the other side. So I, I'm coming into a really easy team to come into with the experience and knowledge to actually come in and help and contribute to that team. And that makes a big difference, I think. Mm-hmm. How about you? I think I'm going to go back a long time for the best one. Um, and it, it's the company that we worked at together, I think yep. was the best joining of a group that I've ever had. And the reason was there was some attrition on the team very shortly after I joined. So I joined the team as an engineer. There was a senior engineer. We were working together a lot and I was learning a lot. I felt really good about it. And then that senior engineer left. But because I had positioned myself as a high-performing, regular, standard, not senior, (laughs) however you want to term that, engineer, I was really well positioned to step into the uh, knowledge and authority vacuum that the senior engineer leaving left. So I I didn't undersell myself too much. I didn't self-deprecate too much. I presented my skills and my gaps and my ability to learn pretty well. And then when that individual, when the senior engineer left, I was able to really dive in and take some leadership and, and make a difference, I think, in a lot of ways. So in, in a lot of other jobs I've had, I've either I've self-deprecated a little bit too much where I present myself as more junior than I should. And that often comes back to bite me when I need to flip from asking insightful questions to making suggestions to setting direction. And if you set yourself as too junior, that's a really steep curve to climb where if you can set yourself a little bit mid-senior, mid-junior and not self-deprecate as much, then it's a lot easier to hit that curve and have it feel more natural than a little bit more jarring to people when you go from, hi, I'm the new guy, can I ask you a question, to I know I'm the new guy, but I think we need to do it this way. So. Yep. I think you and I both self-deprecate more than we should. I feel like maybe that's, again, why I'm coming into this most recent one because I do feel a little more confident and not self-deprecating. Again, you say it, you still can be the new guy. You can still be the, I don't know how you've been doing this and I don't have the context behind this. Um, but this piece right here doesn't quite jive with me. Can you explain that? Can you can you walk me through this? Like, oh, you're right. We probably should address that. We just been so focused over here. I get it. But let me, let me try to take this one for you. Like, you know, you can have that conversation back and forth. But if you just come in with a, hey, I've never done this before. What are we doing? Like, it's really hard. But I found it hard to be both the student and the leader at the same time. Um, and a lot of, I think I'm in a place in my career now where we both are probably, where we have to be both a leader and a student at the same time. You come in closer to that senior title with the senior title. Now, I think you came into this last one. Yeah. I come in with a product owner being expected to lead a scrum team from scratch um, and possibly multiple scrum teams or, or work with other product owners. Uh, you're expected to bring something to the table. I mean, you are expected to jump, drop into your job, but you're still learning the company. You're still learning the product. You're still learning the code base. You're still learning the technology. Um, but there's an expectation that you can bring something to the table. Um, so backing up before even entering a new team, you need to make sure that's known in your interview process and in your, in, in your learning process. Um, I'm struggling right now because as much as I've done product before, I feel very comfortable running a scrum team and product team, but I still very, very new to being a product leader. Uh, so more of a product manager and, and not just a product owner or a senior product owner, um, because there's big differences between 
delivery and um, and, and um, execution and vision and direction. Um, and so I am A++ when it comes to delivery, implementation, and um, just kind of seeing cards and tickets move across the board, tracking down follow-ups, breaking down a problem, breaking down barriers. Like that's me all day long. That's what I spent 10 plus years of my career developing. But I feel timid around the true, more of the true product pieces that I'm, that I, I have experience in, but I don't have as much as I want. I undersold those values. I undersold those ones that I'm still developing. Um, and I, thankfully I'm at a company that recognizes it quickly and I can be like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm at a different level than probably where you guys brought me in. And it's like, yep, yeah, you are. And we're good with that. And we'll move you up. Not a big deal. Different company. I would have been stuck in a more junior position for a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. two years at least, um, to be able to try to start having the impact that I can have now simply because I undersold skills yeah. that I'm timid about that I'm still qualified for, but I'm not as strong in as I know the other places that I can come in and just kick butt right away. Day one. Mm -hmm. Underselling leader, is tough. It's it's so tough, and the student leader approach I think is the only valid one. <laughs> it's the only has to be correct has one. to be. But it's also it's really tough to nail. And I think the difference between the mistake that I made is asking too many questions of, with a tone. I don't know. I don't understand this yet. Can you explain it to me, or please explain it to me? As opposed to this, I don't understand this yet. And I think it's a problem. Can you explain it to me? And there's just that that really subtle a little bit of a difference. There. Yep. And I just it's it's a tough balance to strike where you can come in politely and humbly and observe and point out and question without bruising egos or pushing buttons, but still call attention to the things that you need to with the right level of severity. At this point in our career, again from the middle, we're expected to have opinions. We're expected to have thoughts. We're expected to to again be able to drive something and have a little bit more autonomy than what we've had before and we get credence for that sooner like it doesn't take a year and a half of fixing bugs for something to go oh you really do know how to code um you can come in right away and go that's not computing why and still again you're still humble you still ask why what's the context but um yeah we're expected to at this point and again 10 years from now we'll see all the things that we the wrong decisions we made but it's still a point in our career where you're making a decision. We're decision makers now, or at least opinion holders now. Um, and you're expected to at least move things forward, even if you have to readjust after a week or two when you find a better solution. But you have to be willing to keep things moving mm -hmm. and not just be spinning on, oh, what do you guys think? Mm -hmm. Even though you're asking, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I always say strong opinions loosely held. And I may have yes. quoted that on the podcast already. But the strong opinions part is just tough when you're new. The, you know, coming out with a strong opinion while you're the new guy, especially if you've self-deprecated a little bit too much at the beginning of the role, just is a, a tough dynamic to strike. So yep. I think if you don't self-deprecate too much, but you're transparent about your gaps, then, and I'm, I'm referencing my current role a lot here because I'm going from server website, service-based development, backend stuff to working on Android. And so if I try to pretend like I'm an expert in Android, I'm going to sound like an idiot immediately. But I don't have to be an expert in Android to point out a concurrency problem. So it's just that that dynamic of how do you yep. be transparent about your gaps and still have strong opinions and loosely hold them while being humble at the same time. It's a, a interesting trifecta or quadrifecta. <laughs> Humble's huge. Humble's huge. And it goes back to the earlier point, too, of also knowing which battles to pick. 
I mean, what what is worth fixing versus versus what's not or what's addressing at the time. I'll go back to the, the again, current team, just because this is where we're at. And that's why we're talking about this topic now. But um, I already referenced it once. Um, and I maybe I, I probably should have uh, been even more clear, but um, it is a launch that should have taken four months that has now taken uh, eight months. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's well overdue. Me coming in and pointing out all the reasons why um, or all the things that are going wrong when people are burnt out, they're exasperated, Part, the partner and us on both sides are tired, they're frustrated, they know things aren't going perfectly, and that's the environment that you have to work with. Now, there's small changes I can walk in and help to clear that. I can start to rebuild that relationship, and we have. We've, we're to a better place where everybody's understanding that both sides are exasperated and that both sides aren't, the, you know, we're not eating each other. Now it's just, oh, the situation's tough, let's work through it. Like, we've gotten there. But coming in and pointing out, like, dude, we screwed the pooch on that. We need to change this. Like, why are we doing this? This is dumb. Like, coming into a team that's been burnt for eight months and doing that now is the wrong call. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the retro in a month when they're launched. We'll talk through it. We'll make the suggestions and the proposals. Um, but especially making that through to a team that's also going through a, a startup to sustainability transition at the same time. Like, you don't kick a horse when it's a dog when it's down, you know, you don't kick a guy when it's down. You don't kick anybody really. I should remember I'm on a podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all those things together. It's being humble to ask. It's being knowledgeable to know the issue, but then it's, there's, there's the last piece, which is timing and when and where to address and when, when and where to hold on to it. So yeah, strong opinions held loosely um, or held for a different time. Yeah. So <laughs> strong opinions held loosely or contained for the time being. <laughs> or contained for the time being. I like yeah. it. I like it. Um and I I resonate a lot with that. I don't know if I have anything to add to it, but it is just the question of when do you get dramatic about a problem? When do you make a stink about it? When do you pull the whole team off topic in a team meeting and really ram it down? Or when do you just say that one that ship has sailed? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I can see some of the problems coming, and I think you probably can too, but yep. neither of us are in a position to fix it. So here we go. Exactly. <laughs> we'll patch as many holes as we can and we'll bail water when we need to and see where yep. we get. And especially especially when you have a good team, have grace with good teams. And and, and maybe that's a little bit harsh because I'm I'm implying that there are bad teams and I'm implying that there are there even are. worse situations. <laughs> but there are. But if if you have a team that's trying, if you have a team that has been through it and, and wants to get better, man, be as positive and, and as graceful as you can. You still need to make the changes. We still need to call a spade a spade. But God, with teams that want to learn, if you can find a way, like you can call it out and call it out in such a way that they go, "Yep, you're right." What are we? Gonna, and and then come in with the solution. There's so much value you bring to a team, a new team, when you can do that, because uh, they're teaching you and you're teaching them. And we're like, wait a minute. You have this eight months of history. I have my career history. We both know that this isn't going the way it's supposed to be. Give me your eight months. Give me my history. Give us our knowledge together. And like, let's go make a change. And then, yeah, it's just, you can get so much credence with a new team when you can be that way. So we've backburned to the social. And I think this is a good moment to pull it out. Yeah, I think we should. It plays a lot into that. So how do you so that that statement that you just said has a lot of sensitivity to it where mm -hmm. if the group where you're at eight months and you're supposed to be at four is comfortable talking about that delay and the problems that are going on and admitting that it isn't what it was supposed to be that's very different than if you've got a group that's really struggling to admit there is an internal team problem and not all of these issues are due to external unpreventable factors and you're gonna go right for the hard stuff 
<laughs> well, I'll back it off a little bit. So how much <laughs> how much social do you play into that to manage and temper those conversations? Do you do you start with that conversation or do you start social just hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm from South Dakota. You probably Oh aren't. man, see, this yeah, is such a great that? there's such a great line because the conversation you're talking about of what to do professionally when the team is is having issues whether that's dysfunctional whether that's like just blind spots whether that's not staffed like all the reasons why a team could be having issues i still actually put that in the professional category not the social category how i would address um that situation now there's a social aspect to it but i put that in a different category than hey let's go grab a beer i'm from south dakota you're from chicago let's catch up like let's talk about our families or let's go like you know like that's like i don't know if we can touch that today because as we talked about other podcasts that's not for everybody like everybody's not going to fit in that category so when we talk about social i'm going to talk about soft skills um professional soft skills i guess is maybe how i'd want to narrow that down a little bit so um there definitely still needs to be a relationship there definitely still needs to be a professional relationship to where, again, you trust me as a product owner and I trust you as an engineer, or if you don't trust me as a product owner and I don't trust you as an engineer, we have to be able to talk about it. Um, and that's where it's just, people are different. And I think this is where even just doing a couple of these podcasts already, I, I want to take a little bit of a softer stance and not just do one size fits all because some engineers are your stereotypical engineers to where they would just rather have the direct fight and talk through it and hash it out. And, you know, like, Hey, this is what happened. You host me. You think I hosed you. Let's just talk through this and figure it out. And that actually can be productive. You might have somebody else. That's just like, I just don't even, I'm, I'm, I want to avoid the conflict. I don't even want to address it. I just want to move on to the next thing. And then we're going to have the same problem over and over again. Then it's maybe more of a, hey, let's talk through this. Let's go grab lunch. Can we can we just kind of start from square one and, and, and walk through what got us here and try to draw out that conversation? Like, go on and on and on and on. But I I don't think you can leave things unaddressed. I guess that's the, that's the if, if I'm trying to broaden it out and I can't get too specific because I feel like it's too, there's too many different variables, I would say you have to address it. And however your soft skills lead you to address those issues on the team or those concerns on the team, I think you have to find a way to address it. If that's escalation to management, if that's bringing a third party, if that's having a beer, if that's duking it out, like being able to be really blunt and straightforward, but yet still try to maintain professionally, whatever that looks like for the personality you're dealing with, from perspective on, from a leadership perspective, from from like we're we're assuming people who listen to this podcast don't just want to be the average person at their job. You have to be the one to change to meet the other person where they're at. Um, you can't just be stuck in your own personality you had to be willing to bend to the other person's personality that's a long rant and maybe it's not exactly your question but i kind of felt like you know we, we were talking a little bit about dysfunctional teams we talked a little bit about social and so i kind of combined the two but either way i just think as a leader you have to meet people where they're at positive or negative i went the negative route but even on the positive side like mm-hmm. i try to be a little bit of all things to all people while still being true to myself period you yeah that you nailed that question and the first thing I'll say is the scoping in from talking about, you know, wife, family, whatever, children, mm-hmm. and saying these are soft skills or professional soft skills is a great clarification. Being from South Dakota is often an icebreaker. And it's just yep. something funny that not everybody on a remote team has met someone from our state. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, most but, cities are know, bigger than our state as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, whatever whatever break the ice it's nice to meet you as a coworker kind of thing you use uh i you know you're right it's it's i don't know that it's even useful to have a standard pattern of how do we go from i need to talk to you 
and it's because there are problems on our team versus, or, you know, a standard pattern for that of I start by saying hi, and then I transition into this because it just depends on the individual you're interacting with. Some people want to spend two hours chit-chatting and understanding the history of the company and where you've worked before, and other people are just going to say, bug 2397 is very bad, and we need to talk about it. So it's, it is individual. It just has to be where you assess the person and the team and the environment, and then you define the approach to getting to the problem and talking about it and dialoguing about it and proposing a solution to that individual. That last thing you said, though, I guess what I would add on to mine is I do think it has to be problem focused or issue focused or solution focused, like um, however, you, whatever the situation is, like, I think the focus needs to be on what is the professional outcome that we need to achieve. Um, and again, may, that may take an hour of chit chatting around histories and whatnot, just to get that rapport and whatnot. But if we're going to keep in the professional sphere for now, sphere for now, like there has to be the target. And it has to not be you and I aren't getting along. That's not the target. Like, and I've also made that mistake. Like I am a person that likes to get along with people. Um, I like people to like me. That can be a weakness at times. I make too much of what people think about me. And so when I am not on the same page as developer, that keeps me up at night. I spin on that at night. And so then I make the problem get on this, uh, to build, fix my relationship with the developer. That's still important. I don't want to discard that, but usually the best way to do that is address the work issue or the work concern or the work problem um, that we're trying to solve before I try to just be like, oh my gosh, our relationship is broken. I got to fix it. Like I, I get into personal mode where in a lot of times, if wh- what is it that's driving this? You know, maybe it is a personal, just you and I aren't ever going to get along. But even in that case, that relationship is so much better if it's focused on what is the outcome we're trying to achieve. Interesting. So. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think if I've ever had that problem. Where you compartmentalize so much better. I think someone. we have to tell everybody yeah. on this podcast that Brian is the ultimate compartmentalizer. <laughs> we should all, if he could figure out how to put that into TED Talk, he would quit his job tomorrow and retire and teach everybody oh, how to compartmentalize work at home. And Moving on. Sorry. Go ahead. Double edged sword. <laughs> but I do, I do. I flip the switch and I am not friends with you. I am jovial coworkers or I am amicable coworkers. And then we leave the office and I flip the other switch. And we are not amicable coworkers, we are friends. And it does have a good boundary or it sets a good barrier between those two, that crossover, where I don't have to be so concerned about what our relationship is or what our communication style is because it's very focused on this is our objective and we need to accomplish this. I can remember one situation where there was just a major personality mismatch and I could hardly stand to be in the same room as this individual. And I wonder if it would have been better if I had cared less about that and managed to just focus more on these are the tasks, these are the the things that we need to accomplish. And I thinking of a couple of meetings, I think it may have been a better relationship when it was just, look, we got to review this doc and I need you to code review this script and then I need you to approve or click this button to approve my change. And like let's spend 17 minutes doing that and we're going to end our 30 minute meeting 13 minutes early so we don't have to talk to each other and that's a lot easier to do when you can keep work within work but that's those boundaries get even harder when we're talking about overtime when we're talking about long hours and weekends and things like that because now your professional and your personal are crossing so i think even in those times it's even more important to try to stay focused on work mm-hmm. again we're talking professionally because there's a whole another relational dynamic that we kind of touched on in our last podcast that when do you make it relational and personal versus when do you keep it professional? Like the whole other topics. So I think we just want to leave that 
out of this conversation. So, but for professionally, relationally, I just, I think it's so helpful to be mission focused. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Um, and it also goes back to where we started this conversation of why I want to know what the day-to-day is. What is the day-to-day mission? How are we operating? What is the, what's the operating procedures of the team and what are we currently operating on? Because that working with a coworker on a problem, I'm going to learn more about them than having a conversation about their cat and their dog and, you know, where they went to school 20 years ago. Now that none of us remember what four-year degree they got, you know? <laughs> so I just think, like, again, I don't want to degrade that because I'm such a personable person, but in a professional aspect, like, Keeping a missional focus, I think, is huge. Uh, I before we end, remember I remember what four-year degree I got. I just <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. Yeah, I just think yeah. it's funny that we all knew we no, needed four-year degrees. Um, again, I think there's the context here is just this. This is the personal side of the podcast, guys. Like when we worked at the same company, like he is no joke. There was there was work version of our relationship, and there was non-work version of relationship. We are some of the most sarcastic people outside of work. Like no joke. Like we, we, I'm, I'm naturally sarcastic. I have to tone it down at work and Brian catches up on my sarcasm because he's been with me since first grade. So he gets it. If I try to throw sarcasm at this dude, when we were at work and I didn't say, Hey, friend mode, like literally I had to say friend mode before I Those threw words. any kind of like <laughs> sarcasm or joke. Cause this dude would take me deadpan serious. Cause he was in work mode <laughs> anyways. <laughs> I, and it's, it's the strangest thing. And maybe on the podcast, if someone else has that, please reach out. Please reach out. Anyone else who has this problem. And make a TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> and help me understand myself. But it, it's so true because you would you would say something and I And I'd be like, you just it. took that seriously? Would, and I'm I like, would like I would stop and I would get concerned and I would get worried and I would feel agitated. And then you would tell me like I'm I'm kidding. And then I was, oh, 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 right. We're, we've been friends for a while, <laughs> 27 years. And that was very funny. And I'll laugh yep. about it at 531. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So Until true. Until then I can't. Oh, so, yeah, true. if you're listening to this podcast and you have that problem where you can't hear jokes at work and everything seems real, please reach out. I would love to commiserate. Oh, <laughs> uh, shoot. Definitely strengths there too, though. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this new team? I don't know, man. This is a fun one. And again, I like everything else. I think it's one that evolves, but um, I'm just, I was, I didn't say that. I'm having fun. I, just being able to walk into a situation where, again, we're at that middle level. Now we can come in, we're expected to perform. You can come in and perform. You can come in and help like actually walk into a new team and feel like you can help and contribute to a team. Man, that's so satisfying. I'm, I'm loving it right now. And I'm hoping, you know, I know we all talk about honeymoon, honeymoon periods and when will the other shoe drop, but it's been, it's been fun to walk into a new situation and go, how do I do this differently? How do I do this better? And what can I bring to the table that helps? And what can I learn? Like throw all that together, stick it in a blender and meet some new people while you're at it. Psh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And I, so I'm, I'm in the same boat. I I'm having a lot of fun with this round of getting onboarded to a new team. And I think and I don't want to put too much emphasis on titles, but this is the first time that I have started a team with senior attached to my title. I've gained it in the past. I've had a variety of titles that are more or less important, depending on which one you pick. But this is the first time I've started a new team being recognized as being in a senior role. And it's been really fun to experiment with the influence that that gives me right out of the gate and the lower friction to being able to provide influence and observe problems and gain momentum on things. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And it's a privilege I may not always have. Who knows? Maybe that'll, that'll change at some point. But for now, it's really fun to 
experience the influence and the momentum that you can get just by having the the title bump that you get. Yeah, I'm I'm loving this point in my career where it's we're we're being able to use that influence a bit more. We're we're able to contribute and be trusted to contribute, not just contribute on what we've been assigned. We're being trusted to help steer and contribute, and it's it's a great place to be. It's a great learning place. We'll make plenty of mistakes, but yeah, it's a fun place to be in our careers right now. Awesome. I think that wraps it up. All right. Thanks, guys. Tune in next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>